You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's guest speaker, we have Ali Jamal, founding partner at First Check Ventures and an angel investor with over 15 years of experience. And this episode, we'll talk about Ali's major takeaways from his angel investment experiences and also what he got out of being a founding partner. So Ali, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on First Check Ventures. Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm originally from the U.S. I grew up in, in Minnesota, but uh, went to school in California. I did my bachelor's and master's at, at Stanford, uh, bachelor's at econ, then a master's in statistics. And I then moved to New York to start my career as an investment banker. I did mergers and acquisitions for three years. Um, I wanted to go to a place where I can have more of an impact to get my hands dirty. So I moved back to the Valley and started working as a data scientist. And I did that for the next three years. And then in 2013, I made the jump into product and into mobile. And I've been there ever since. So I was a product manager at Zynga, the gaming company and then went to a competitor of theirs called RockU. I was at RockU for about four years, uh, helped build them from 40 people up to 400. And uh, you got a chance to wear a lot of different hats and, and see a lot of different things just as you grow and scale a business to that size. Um, 2017, got recruited by uh, the travel uh, company Agoda and moved to Bangkok, Thailand to lead marketing innovation for them. I led their display marketing and their mobile growth teams. And then uh, ended up leading all of their marketing efforts in China. So I was spending a lot of my time uh, in China as well, doing all the brand acquisition, um, display marketing over there. Um, was at Agoda for a couple of years. And then in 2019, moved to Bogota, Colombia to lead performance marketing for Rappi. Um, got in right before SoftBank put their billion dollars in um, and had a team of about 80 doing acquisition and retention marketing across all of Latin America. And then uh, end of 2019, got recruited by a startup in Mexico called Payclip. And so I moved to Mexico City in, in January of 2020. Um, to lead performance marketing and growth for them. So uh, it's, it's basically, uh, Clip it Clip is basically the square of Mexico. We make credit card readers and uh, process payments, uh, mainly for small and, and medium-sized businesses. Our um, you know, starting device is about 20 bucks and um, you, know, you can uh, buy it and start taking credit card payments uh, almost instantaneously. And that can have a huge impact um, for our small and, and medium-sized businesses, um, which 90% of the businesses in Mexico are. Um, so it, it's uh, having kind of that big, big impact, um, you know, right here, uh, you know, in, in Latin America. And um, we're one of the fastest growing um, fintechs. Um, and then, you know, 
uh, like you mentioned on the side, I've been an angel investor for about 15 years. Uh, you know, mainly started out just putting uh, smaller checks into different friends' startups. Um, but then really over the last four or five have become uh, more and more exposed to it and, and just uh, kind of been able to tie the work I was doing on the startup side and with my, my day job to this passion for investing and understanding startups and understanding the ecosystem. Um, and so I have been putting more and more of my own personal capital into it and started to get uh, unique deal flow um, from you know friends and, and friends of friends. Um, but you know I think particularly because I'm now in Latin America and you know I've worked in, in growth and performance marketing, which are two of the areas that, that Latin America is um, is a bit behind kind of other other, you know, the U.S. And, and, um, and, and Southeast Asia in terms of having those kind of huge performance marketing growth machines. Um, and so I've had a lot of people approach me for uh, help. And, and, you know, when I find those businesses that are interesting, I want to back them and, and support them. Um, and, and, you know, um, one of the big things has kind of been, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing well but I'm not doing so well that I can write 1500 K checks a year. Um, <laughs> right. And so um, I needed to find a way to kind of do that where my 5k or, or 10k check that I'm going to write into these investments could really be, be impactful. Uh, so that's what really led to starting first check. You know, I felt like I was meeting these companies. I was doing all this effort and due diligence, but uh you know, my, my, at the end of the day, my 5K check wasn't really making a big impact for them. And I wanted to be able to make a big impact for them. And so uh, started this angel syndicate. Um, you know, I've kind of been growing it ever since. Um, you know, so we, we went from zero people in July to we now have almost 700 uh, members. Um, we, we did about seven deals uh, in Q4. We've already started our first couple for uh, for Q1 in January, uh, and so it's just gaining momentum, and you know we're really being able to write some um, some decent sized checks and, and really help fuel the ecosystem. Nice, that's really cool. So, first question actually going to be for me: What is what's your major takeaway from being? investment banker versus being an angel investor and then more of like more of like institutional investor who's writing bigger checks to startups yeah so you know i think i think there's actually a fairly big difference between it um, i'm very grateful to have had that exposure to the banking world but um you know those are usually for you know companies that are much more established and, and further along and so you have revenue and you have profitability and you start to use that to evaluate uh, you know what these companies are worth but oftentimes where I'm coming in um, you know it's very very early in the process they haven't raised outside capital really yet maybe just a, a small you know family and friends round and so all those things kind of around um, valuation are, are much more kind of personal, right? It's kind of up to the founder if they want to try to raise at three or four or 10, right? Oftentimes 
you'll see companies, you know, that will go and, and, and you know, have these, these wide varieties of uh, valuations, even at the same, um, same level of progress or same level of revenue. Um, so it is much more subjective, uh, but you really have to kind of make the bet on what is the trajectory going to be and, and are these the people to lead it? So I feel like when you're doing an M&A transaction, usually you're making a bet on on the company and on their numbers and what those look like. And hey, I can fire the whole exec staff, and you know we will uh, increase our profitability by X percent by saving those salaries, all that sort of stuff. But uh, you know when you're looking at a startup, you know we're, we're, you're making the bet on the team. You're making the bet on you know. Can these guys build a hundred million dollar company, a five hundred million dollar company, a billion dollar company? Do they have the tools? Are they willing to uh, adapt and learn and ask for help? Um, mm -hmm. Like all those sorts of characteristics that you need in order to be a great, you know, executive and leader for a startup. Which of those skills do these people possess? And you know, if you look at a lot of, of you know, the great startups, a lot of the people had to pivot or had to change what they were doing. And so you weren't necessarily making the bet on um, on that idea, but really trying to make the bet on the team and their ability to, you know, get things done. Absolutely. That's the most fun part of the startup investing. So I want to talk a little bit more about First Check Ventures, but first, actually, I would love to talk a little bit more about how you evaluate you know, these capabilities of these companies that you're investing in, uh, especially during the COVID. So before that, I know that some investors were bringing out founders for dinners and watching how they how they were interacting with the waiters, how they were interacting with other people, how they were taking care of, you know, some stressful situations, et cetera, et cetera. How do you do this now? How do you evaluate the teams? What are the major basically metrics within the team that you're looking at while you're evaluating a company? So, you know, I, I personally try to look at what the dynamics of the team are and what they've accomplished. And uh, to me, it's actually more important that they kind of have accomplished something as a team rather than as individuals. So everybody kind of has this, you know, oh, I worked at this company, I did this, and that guy worked at that company, he did that. But, you know, just because you're friends doesn't mean you guys can work together. So, um, you know, as you guys have come together, or girls, sorry, I keep on using male pronouns, but uh, for both sides, um, you know, as, as the team has come together, what have you done? What did you build? What did you, how did you approach it? What are, what are the things that you have, I mean, to be honest, what have you hustled towards, right? What have you scraped together? Uh, you know, how do you view how do you view the startup? How do you view what you can accomplish on your own, um, right? And why are you coming to me for money? You know, so if you've already, you know, been together for a year or two years and you've put all these together by funding it yourself, and now you've started to get some initial customers, but to really go out there and acquire new customers who need help, hey, I got that. I'm more than happy to help. Um, mm -hmm. If it's, you know, you guys have just come together. You've started the company a week ago, and now you're out there asking for money before you even have a product or a prototype or have done any real 
market research or have done anything, right? Like if you don't know who your competitors are, if you don't know who, you know, who else is in the space, if you don't know any of those sorts of things and what their feature set is versus what your feature set is and why somebody should choose you, why should I choose you, right? Like, like if you don't know your customers, if you don't know your, your competition, um, if you haven't put in that basic legwork, um, you know, I, I'm just worried about what you're going to do when I actually give you my money. Right. That's very accurate. And yeah, at this point, let's talk a little bit more about the major mistakes that most founders do while talking to you or maybe to the investors that you know. So, you know, just off the bat, what do you think is the major, major, most common mistake that founders make while talking to investors or while pitching their companies to investors? So going back, right, I think we said, as I said, the most important thing is the team. And, and you know, I think that team, one of the things you really look for is, is their honesty and, and their ability to build things. And so I feel like, you know, I think I told you before, one of, one of the things is I feel like oftentimes founders come across as too salesy. And, you know, in my mind, that's, you know, you're presenting these numbers, you're presenting these things that aren't actually real. And, and you know, if I can't trust you on these numbers, if I can't trust you with these sorts of, um, you, know, you know, to be honest with me about what the situation is, how can I trust you with uh, my money, right? And again, it, it, it's a trust thing on both sides. So I feel like oftentimes founders are so optimistic about, um, you know, oh, we're in, you know, we're in talks with these people. So we're going to sign an LOI. And so the contract is signed and they'll have their deck. Like, you know, these customers are already signed up when they're not. Or, mm -hmm. oh, you know, like we, we got funding from this person or from this company, but they didn't actually get the funding yet. Or they got the funding from some other small derivative of it, not from that actual firm, right? Or, or all those sorts of, of things where, you know, you're trying to make this, a rosy story um, and I get it, but I would much rather have the truth and know what I'm working with. Um, you know, and if I know what I'm working with, then I know where you need help. If you need help with, you know, you're not getting the retention you want, that's fine. Don't just show me the retention for the top 1% of your users or something and pretend like that's your overall retention, right? Um, like, like whatever we like, you know, know what your strengths are and, and, know what your weaknesses are and, and, you know, don't be afraid to ask that you, you need help with this or that the monies might go towards hiring a retention expert or the money might go towards, you know, whatever other issues you're seeing in your numbers, but, you know, know your numbers and, and be honest about them. Mm -hmm. Right. Sugar coating never works. That sugar code always gets discovered. And then that's, that's disgusting. Investors hate that 100% of the time. So definitely do not do that stuff. Do not hide information. It, it'll, it will float <laughs> up eventually. So definitely never, never, ever do that. Um, so another thing that you mentioned in our pre-interview call is that, you know, you're always looking for this uniqueness in every single startup because that's, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do as investors. So what do you think qualifies a company as a unique company? So, you know, when pretty much every single startup has at least two, three competitors in the field already existing, most likely close to them in terms of development. So how can a company stand out from that competition? What does qualify as unique feature or unique, you know, uh, competitive advantage? 
I think it comes down to knowing yourself. So, um, you know, I think it's the same kind of thing with dating, right? Like there are millions of other, billions of other guys out there. Why should a girl, you know, say yes to going on a date with you, right? Or why should a guy, you know, say yes to going on a date with you? Like, what is it about you that makes you special? What is it about this company that you're doing that makes you special, right? Everybody's special in their own way, um, right? But knowing your story, knowing why I should get excited, um, you know, and, 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 you know, showing where that progress is. And, and so, um, you know, I think that's actually often one of the, the most surprising things that I've seen, um, you know, kind of moving over to this side of, of kind of being, you know, rather than just kind of trying to help out my network, seeing a lot more pitch decks from a lot more people and, and just how few of them actually know what makes their company special and how many of them try to highlight the wrong things. Like so many people just try to highlight their team when, you know, there are tons of teams out there with really, really smart, brilliant people that haven't been able to make an impact. So like the team is, is, is important. And, and ultimately that's why, you know, people are probably going to get excited, but, you know, we're excited probably more about what the team has done together. What sort of, you know, traction have you gotten and where have you gotten it? So no matter what it is, if it's, how far along you are in the product in a very short time on a very small amount of burn, if it's how many customers you've gotten, if it's how many people are coming and using your product, if it's, you know, whatever those things are, know what makes you special and then try to play into that and try to tell that story around what makes you special, um, not what you think I want to hear. Right. Can you give us a few examples of this, you know, good pitches that were highlighting the right thing? <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, I, th I think it depends on, you know, what you're really trying to do. Um, so, so one of the big things for me is, is I tend to like, um, I, I tend to like fast follows of, of things that work well in one market and, and trying to adopt it into another market. Because then I think it's very clear to say, hey, this thing worked really well in China. And these are the dynamics that they used in order to make it make it grow. And now we're trying to do that same thing in India or in Indonesia or in Brazil. And, you know, the Chinese company doesn't want to come here or is it going to come here for at least four years? So we have four years to try to go and make this into something. Right. Um, and so having, you know, having, knowing your space that well that you can say, hey, like I've studied this thing. I know what it is. And now I, I'm replicating it in, in this opportunity, in this open market, um, you know, I, I think it is huge. So, you know, again, kind of knowing, like showing that you've done the homework um, as much as possible in, in, in these decks, I think is extremely important. Like you have so much knowledge in your head. How can you simplify that down and put it into where you put your work in? So in that case, it's understanding the model that was successful somewhere else. And another thing, it might be how many customers you've gotten. Um, and another thing, it might be, um, you know, uh, how many downloads you've received, uh, how sticky your product is. What is the thing that makes your company, your product, your, your marketplace special? And how have you gone about trying to attack that? And what has the outcome been? 
And if you can kind of show that you've had this hugely positive, successful outcome based on you know whatever that metric is, um, you know, it just makes it that much easier for me to believe that you're going to have success in other things. You know, like a, if you have the ability to attract customers, I think you're going to have the ability at some point to put revenue on. If you have the ability to, you know, um, build out a hugely a huge project, very reasonably priced, then I think you're going to have the ability to continue to expand your, you know, product portfolio and your and and whatever on a budget as well. And you have that, you know, desire to do it, right? So so whatever the things are that, you know, make you special, that make the company special, make sure you show it and make sure you understand it. Because I feel like a lot of times people don't. Absolutely. So on this point, let's talk a little bit more about people who do understand those things. And, uh, you know, you've worked at a lot of startups, you've invested in multiple startups. What do you think? So based on that experience, what do you think is the most pronounced trait of a good startup team or a good startup CEO? So, you know, when you see those characteristics in the person, you're like, okay, that that company most likely will be successful, or at least that person eventually will build something that's going to work out. Um, you know, I think the number one thing is, um, you know, being adaptable and being able to take feedback. So how you um, respond to those challenges is, is going to be hugely important, right? I, I've been at a bunch of startups that have had to change their business model. You know, they've had to go through layoffs that have had to switch um, what they're doing and, and how that executive team you know, takes that information, reacts to it, adapts to it, um, I think is, is extremely important. Right. That's very accurate. I mean, that's the only benefit of a start, basically being able to move very fast in completely different directions. So, yeah, that's very accurate. So now, yeah, now it's time to talk a little bit more about your investment preferences and specifically about First Check Venture. So first question is, what do you actually invest in? Uh, what field do you like to invest in? What's the average uh, check size? And at which stage do you like to invest in? Sure. Um, so I like to invest uh, fairly early on, pre-seed, seed, series A. You know, we'll occasionally do a series B or series C, but most of the stuff we've done so far has been more of the seed, pre-seed um, range. Um, so, so I, I think that's, you know, kind of the general area, you know, um, industries and business models, I'm, I'm sort of agnostic. Again, I think the biggest thing for me is seeing what you guys have accomplished as a team and, and you know, what the traction is, what the, uh, what you guys have built. Um, and so uh, that to me still kind of remains the biggest, the biggest thing. And then, um, uh, the third one was the average check size. <laughs> oh, um, our average check size is 100 to 500K. And the interesting thing is because it's an angel syndicate, um, I'm not the one who really decides that. Each individual investor decides whether they want to invest in, in each deal that goes up. And so, you know, um, I, I can't guarantee that a deal is going to get 500K. Um, I can't. Um, you know, guarantee that, you know, 
uh, what's what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And so part of what I'm also going through when I'm looking at companies is, you know, uh, is this a company that I can explain to 700 other people, uh, right? And can I explain it well? Um, and are they going to believe my explanation, right? So I might have uh, a great best friend who's doing something in, in biotech and, you know, I'm not a biotech expert. Um, and so, you know, even if I try to pitch this to these people, are they really going to, you know, take my authority on it? Um, you know, and, and, and you know, in that case, you know, even myself, right? Like I have to sell what I know, in which case I'm, I'm not a biotech expert, but I've known this guy for 15 years or 20 years or whatever it is. And that's why I'm making the bet and making it very clear to people why I'm excited about what this guy is doing. And, and that to me is, is the reason why I'm investing more so than maybe the business model or more so than, than the revenue. Right. Um, and, and so I think that's an important thing to kind of understand that, um, you know, with, when you're going through an angel syndicate versus a fund, the fund can write you a check of whatever size they want. And it's you know, up to them with me. It's not up to me. It's up to all these individual people and what they decide to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, for entrepreneurs, you know, I think it makes it does make a lot of difference between, you know, raising from a fund versus raising from an angel group or syndicate. So what do you think what kind of founders should actually try to approach specifically angel syndicates instead of VC firms? Um, yeah, I, th I think there's value to to having both. Um, and I think the um, syndicate is a nice way to kind of top off the investment if you already have a VC lead who actually, you know, kind of, they kind of give you their stamp of approval. They're part of a portfolio. They have these kind of deeper connections to places and, and, and you know, uh, to really kind of help you get to raise that next level of funding. Um, but, you know, my syndicate, on the other hand, I have 700 other people. Um, most of them are uh, also, you know, working in tech, you know, all over the world. A lot of my friends from Stanford, a lot of people I, I used to work with, right? And, and they're now all over the place. And so you're now having the ability to get all of these different people, um, you know, product managers from Facebook and, you know, um, data scientists from Google or whatever that are now looking at your product and that are now investing in you. And, you know, when you need those next level of introductions, when you're looking to hire your next VP of sales, when you um, need to get to the, uh, you know, BD person at, at Airbnb or whatever, right? Like you have this network of people that have invested in you that are now backing you that want to help you succeed. Um, and, and so I think there, there's this huge network opportunity um, from, 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 coming in and and uh, and coming in through an angel syndicate uh, but, but you know the, i'm not trying to discount the the venture capitalists and, and there's also you know a huge benefit to them as well i saw i would typically say you know, try to do both if you can right yeah that's accurate that's accurate advice both have their own uh, strengths both have weaknesses so yeah definitely having both on your cap table 
does make sense very very frequently uh on this note we're moving on to the last question of today's episode which is a call to action so ali what is the one thing that you want the listener to do right after the episode is over so if you're interested in in angel investing i'd love for you to join my syndicate um you can just go to firstcheckventures.com and click uh join syndicate it'll take you to the angelist page where you can back back us um and then um you know i would love for people to connect with me on linkedin you know always happy to help out um everybody the ecosystem so if you're a founder if you're thinking about becoming a founder if you're an investor or want to become an investor you know or just you know passionate about tech reach out uh, you know i'm available especially now during during the pandemic um you know i have i have free time so um, i think that's been one of the one of the you know upsides of this whole crazy environment is mm-hmm. people are much more um available and, and much easier to contact so um, absolutely yeah i mean yeah, this podcast this specific specific episode is recorded on sunday morning so which would be most likely impossible on the normal uh <laughs> in the normal days but it's the pandemic so every single day is the same so <laughs> yeah can record this episode thanks to the COVID. And on this positive note, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, my call to action is going to be definitely check out the description of this episode. I'll leave links to both LinkedIn of Ali and also to the First Check Ventures. So yeah, if you are an investor, if you're one of the, I believe, one point. 2% of this uh, podcast listeners, um, then yeah, definitely, definitely check out uh, First Check Ventures is going to be in the description of this episode. And as usually have a good day.